Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This is episode 29. Uh, as always, I'm your host Ben Jackson and I'll be joined by two of the, the best in the business when it comes to Belgian football and podcasting, Scott and Yoris. Scott and Yoris, how are you guys doing tonight? Really good, really good Ben. Nice to be back. How are we both? All good, all good as always. Great. So yeah, as usual in this episode, we're going to have a look over the games that happened this weekend. Well, the games that did actually happen because quite a few of them didn't actually take place, unfortunately, due to bad pitches and bad weather. And there's quite a few talking points. We've got a load of listener questions this week, which is really exciting. We're really happy about that. And we also wanted to extend a warm welcome to anyone in the US who has jumped on the Belgian Pro League bandwagon over recent days. Uh, for those of you who don't know, last week ESPN announced that they're going to have three live matches per week over the next five years, which is, yeah, it's just fantastic news, really, I think, for the league to get some exposure over in the US. I know that if you're in America, you're quite actually quite lucky with the amount of uh, leagues you can watch. So if you've picked a, for the Belgian one, you've definitely picked the right one. And as always, you can find us here every single week talking about the games. Feel free to ask us any questions you have. We've already answered a couple of them on Twitter from people that are interested but yeah please just do get in touch we um, absolutely love interacting with people about the league and kind of spreading the good news that is the Belgian Pro League and as an Englishman I'm very jealous that you guys in the US can actually watch live games on a proper streaming platform hope you enjoyed the first weekend of live matches and yeah definitely five years of interesting and exciting football to come for you guys so yeah the games that did take place this weekend on Friday night we had Leuven against Codflight and Leuven raced into a 3-0 lead at half-time. Codflight pulled one back, Leuven went down to 10 men but in the end it ended up 3-1. Saturday, only game that we actually got was St. Luden against Zolta Balagem, ended 2-1 to Zolta Balagem, I'm sure we're going to talk about that game. Sunday we kicked off lunchtime with Standard Liège against Antwerp, that one finished one all. Uh, Metal and stunned shot in the final minutes to win 2-1. Zirkenburg and Anderlecht played a nice nil-nil draw. And then Monday night, so last night as of recording, Ghent absolutely hammered Musclon thanks to uh, a Roman Yulemchuk hat-trick and he got an assist as well. So quite a night for Roman Yulemchuk. Scott, which of those games is your game of the week? Well, you mentioned big Roman Yaramchuk, and I've gone for for the Ghent Muscron game. Not not a particularly good game of football, in truth, but it was more more again to do with kind of what I took away from the game. There are now signs of some improvement from Ghent over the last two or three weeks. Definite signs, evidence of a, an instant impact, obviously from Tisa Daly. He's now got I think four goals in four games. Hasn't even started all those games as well, which makes that start a wee bit more more remarkable. Yeah, I think there's a, a slow but steady improvement and it's funny how these things kind of just incrementally happen I've noticed as well that on the small occasions that Tisa Daly's been on the pitch at the same time as uh, Dorsch and Odija they, they tend to spark off each other really well and good players we know like playing with other good players so you know really good things happen in a creative sense and an, in an attacking sense uh, when they play together Dorsch was actually suspended uh, last night which is why he wasn't in the squad but Tisadali and Adija uh, were bouncing off each other kind of quite effectively later on in the game and Yaramchuk had already done most of the work for for Ghent before then but I think they're looking they're looking better generally I think they just need to maybe decide on what their, their best starting 11 is. I think Van Heisenbrook possibly hasn't quite decided yet um, because you're wondering why Tisa Daly doesn't start. But yeah, I think he's mulling over some of his options there. But yeah, that was the big takeaway from that game for me. The fact that Ghent are, are starting to improve as we go into the closing stages of the season and they may end up having you know, quite a strong end of the season because of that. Um, totally dominated this game. 20 shots uh, throughout the game. I think nine of those were on target. 19 chances. Six of them were big chances. Yeah, I mean, 4-0. 4-0 doesn't flatter them. If it had been five or six, you wouldn't have been surprised. Muscron, on the other hand, seemed to have slipped back into some some bad old habits. And I think that was their worst performance that I've seen, certainly since Shog Samau came in. Very little uh, forward intent to their play, very little structure to what they were doing. Just some really worrying signs at absolutely the wrong time of the season for them. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It was like an instant improvement in their corner taking when it, a DJ came on and um, took scored again. Tisa Dali has to start for me. Niangbo just didn't offer the same... Well, he doesn't have the same confidence, I guess you could see, that Tisa Dali has. Like, when Tisa Dali came on, there's just this energy and this, like, confidence that he's playing with at the moment. 
you just knew that he was going to do something. And I think kind of my final agreement with you is that, yeah, that was the worst performance for Muscon under Simao. I think they just kind of lacked any sort of real threat going forward, especially in the first half. It was just like, it was quite painful to watch for them. It seemed like Onana had so much work to do in the midfield, trying to like mop everything up and like clean things up and he just couldn't do all the work. Costa was a bit isolated when he got the ball. Like, you know, with Costa, you know what you're going to get. You're getting a guy that can beat players. He can dribble past players for fun. And we've seen it before. He has the ability to beat two or three players, but that's when he then needs to be able to find like an outlet pass or something like that. And there were so many times where he'd beat two or three players and then it's like, well, there's no one else next to him. There's no one else around him. So it's kind of like a lack of, I guess, like bravery in terms of going forward from Muscon. So yeah, Ghent definitely deserved a 4-0 win. We all kind of agreed, I think, when we did our transfer window special that keeping your membership was a big boost for them. <laughs> Surely he's going to go in the summer. I can't imagine they're going to be able to keep him for much longer than this kind of next few weeks, next few months. But yeah, yeah I don't know if you want to come in on this game at all as well. For yeah, Remchuk indeed, probably in the summer he might be gone, especially since um, yeah he he will he will be performing at the Euros as well, so that might increase his market value. And yeah, I, I still feel Hint is really dependent on Ojija. Okay, yesterday not so much because he also came from the bench and the game was already decided by then. But it's a bit unfortunate since he is so injury prone and their form really yeah coincides with his presence on the field and his being around. Yeah. I think that he's still the most important player for them. I don't think that's a big revelation either. But yeah, it's a bit unfortunate that he isn't that much around. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Like it's, this season, especially, hasn't it? It's felt like he's just been injured so much, and he just he's never really got going as the seasons like as the season's gone on. You're just waiting for him to string a couple of games together and really like kind of find the form that he showed last season, I guess. But yeah, it's just been a bit of a struggle. It's nice to see him come on and make that instant impact with some like driving forward runs and like taking players on and stuff like that. And getting to assist in like, I don't know, I think it was like 24 minutes. Like it's pretty good going. Scott, let's go back to you for your player of the week. Is it from this game or is it from another game? No, it's from another game actually. For the for the second time this season, I've gone for Yuma Suzuki at St. Truden. I thought he had a brilliant game actually at the weekend, although St. Truden lost uh, and probably shouldn't have. He was absolutely outstanding. He scored their goal. But it was really specifically because of, I really wanted to highlight his movement and the timing of his runs and his positional play was just absolutely outstanding, actually. I was watching him as much as I could off the ball that you can watch when, you, when you're watching a game on, on, on TV. Um, it's obviously much easier to do that when you're at a game because you can, you know, just follow one player. But his, his movement and his running and his positioning was, was just absolutely first class, I thought. To, to create as many chances and find the space to do that was just, just brilliant. He's actually now on, what, 14, 14 goals and 27 he's on now. We spoke about him a number of weeks ago um, when he was my player of the week before. And at that time, I think he just scored his eighth goal of the season, which was one more than he scored last season because he'd scored seven across the 30-plus games uh, last season. And he's now on 14, so he's now doubled that. And regular listeners might know we did talk a little bit about how if he could double that figure, he would have had a sensational season, which he's now done. But he spreads he spreads it about as well. This is the thing. See, when you break it down... Four of those goals are with his head, three are with his left foot, and uh, the other seven are with his right foot. So, you know, he's, he's a very versatile player. And if I was Peter Mass and I was on the coaching staff at St. Truden, I'd be saying, right, Yuma, go and get us 20 goals now before the end of the season. You know, go and, go, and, go and set that as a target. And in fact, even if you can't get that, I'll split the difference with you. Give me 17 and, you know, you'll have had an unbelievable season. We know he's been improving because we spoke about that about a month ago, but he's now at the point that we we kind of discussed then and is probably going to exceed that by the end of the season. Sensational stuff. I, yeah. I will already straight, jump straight in. Well, one, one, one pedantic comment of me, like there were not 30, more than 30 games last season because that was a difficult point. We had to reach 30 games before the end of the season so that the regular, regular league would have been yeah, finished and everything would have been way clearer with the whole legal stuff afterwards. We stopped that after 29. But okay, that was just a minor point. But then again, I also have other stuff to tell. We already had some discussion about it on the, on, <laughs> in, on our in our chat. And well, while I also like Luke as a player, 
in this game he should have scored way more and actually I would would have gone for the, the opposition for goalkeeper Bastin who did really well to keep him from from these goals and from actually like Sintrada definitely deserved to win this game I think because they created that much many chances but in the end they lost because there were so many missed and saved uh, especially yeah there was one particular phase that was which was unbelievable that Bastin held three three attempts in one in this particular game, I think Suzuki really should have done more for his team, even though he didn't do bad. And of course, he did score. That's also a really beautiful goal. I think I think you're right, Yoris, actually, because what you're picking up on is, is I mean, I, I remember saying while we were watching the game that he, he almost certainly should have had a hat-trick in the first half alone based on the chances and the quality of the chances that he'd created for himself. There's, and he probably should have had four actually across the game, actually, rather than the one that he did get at the end. It's kind of ironic, actually, because although we're suggesting that he should be scoring even more than he is, um, and he's missing too many excellent chances, which he is, because he's kind of doubled the scoring tally, he's, he's, he's actually done in a way kind of what you would hope he would do based on last season and the progression. And he's done that well, I think, that he's now creating more chances as well as scoring more. So you've got that double-edged sword of, okay, you've doubled your targets and are on target to even exceed that. But because of that, you're creating so many chances you should probably be maybe getting twice as many as you did last time so it's it's a bizarre it's a bizarre situation I think there are some there are some rumblings now that there, there might be you know some gathering interest in him from from other sides and sides outside of Belgium as well I think I think Centrude need to hold on to him for a bit longer another season ideally and I think he probably has to have another year at the level he's now set before you know he, he could be considered for what would be a, a big big move I think he needs to stay there and keep doing what he's doing and not not go too early because he's had you know one really good season I would hope he would do that but um, I've heard that kind of in the grapevine as well yeah it's not surprising really is it but if you think he's only like 24 so at the end of the season he'll be 25 born a year and a day after me uh, nice little fact there Mr Suzuki so we almost share a birthday but yeah no <laughs> so he's only he'll be 25 so yeah I think if he has another good season next year 26 that's kind of like a nice age to kind of move on like he probably you're kind of he's entering his prime more than he is now but I think I said it in the beginning of these podcasts when I started that like I you did there was just something about him last year that I was like yeah I feel like if he does push on and then Scott like you said we've all kind of spoken about him pushing on and he's done that missing chances it's just it's just a thing isn't it but like at least he's there at least he's like there to miss them you just as long as he keep it's when they when he stop when the goal stops like coming and then you keep missing the chances that's when you get really worried I think as well like looking at St. Trudeau in terms of their like recruitment as well like obviously brought in um, Filipov who you spoke about in our Dinamo Kiev special definitely check that one out it's a great listen brought in him hasn't really worked they brought in Boyo he's more of like a support striker so like Suzuki is their main man there's no doubt about that he kind of out he's out for Filipov in that regard and he's their main person before we move on I did just want to say the second goal for Zodzabalagem in that game was one of those like just classic long ball direct counter-attacks that I just kind of love at the same time like it was just from the goalkeeper lumped upfield couple of passes blue nose in finishes it really well to get another goal for him he's having like a, I think I feel like I've kind of said like, oh we don't mention him enough and I feel like I'm mentioning him every week so apologies if you've heard me say we don't mention him enough and then I keep mentioning him but I feel like he deserved a lot of credit because he's also got 14 goals, five assists so far this season for um, for Zotovalagem. And he's like a massive part of their turnaround in fortunes, I guess. And for the listeners who are wondering when Ben's birthday is, if he didn't lie now, it's on the 25th of April that you can send him a cake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just want to put that one out there. Like, yeah, you know where our Twitter account is at. You know where you got our Gmail. So, yeah. Especially for any Belgian clubs out there, if you want to send out some jerseys, I'm happy to promote them. Feel free to send those over. Or some masks, always be nice. Um, (laughs) No, anyway, we'll move on from talking about that because that's a long way away. My game of the week, it, it wasn't a classic, but with everything going on, it was kind of one of the games I really looked at and watched quite closely. It was Standard against Antwerp. Uh, finished one all. Standard took the lead in the eighth minute. Uh, Carcella scored a penalty. And Joris, if your stats were correct, was his first goal for what, a year and a bit? year and a few weeks, yes. So wait, was it a penalty, though? 
Sorry uh, to interrupt you, Ben. It was one of those that I, you know, I, I was like, whoa, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones, isn't it? It was just like, you can see why they'd give it, but yeah, I don't it's hard. We're going to talk about, obviously we're going to talk about VAR later on because there's some news that has come out about kind of like where they're going with it next year. I mean, he does catch his trailing leg, but is he already going down? Does he, it's kind of like, yeah, does he need to yeah. go that way? Like he that's, kind of, that's, that's kind of how I, I felt for, about it. I thought he was, you know, quite clearly looking for it because I was watching the action and there wasn't great protests from the standard players looking for it. So that that's what told me that, mm, you know, it's one of those. <laughs> yeah, and, and specifically then, like, then it's probably not a clear error. And since he didn't give it before uh, the intervention from the VAR, I guess the referee should have stayed with his decision uh, or the, well, the VAR should have stayed out of it, basically. Yeah, so yeah. Because, yeah, so, like, uh, watching it in real time looks more of a penalty than when you watch it in the replay. And, like, if the referee's watched it in real time, he's decided it's not, then, like, what they say in the replay that decides it is. But I guess... You know when it goes to VA, like it's it's basically going to be given, isn't it? So yeah, that was the first kind of incident in this game that Standard won nil up. Then a lovely run and cross from our friend Didier Lamcalze uh, to Nuda Pau, who stuck it in at the back post, made it one all. Who scored his first goal in more than two years? That Lamcalze was like giving back to Nuda Pau for throwing snowballs at him last week. It was kind of like a nice like little gift. And that then, run was sensational, though, oh, it wasn't, wasn't it, guys? That run was absolutely sensational from Lamkozy. Like what you want to see Lamkozy doing, isn't it? And that's what that's yeah. like. They stuck him up front as the main striker for this game, and he he did run them ragged really throughout the game. Like second half, I don't know how he didn't score one of the one on ones he had. He was just clean through on goal. He looked like really calm and composed, and absolutely shanked it. He looked like he I don't know how he did it. Just like dragged it wide. I think it was either Hongler or Boyer who had another chance through on goal, and they just kind of, he just kind of collapsed rather than like kind of looking more for a penalty than trying to score. Like there was a kind of a tug on the back, but I felt like if he had actually gone to score rather than like exaggerating the contact, he'd have probably got the penalty that he was looking for. But yeah, I thought it was kind of like Antwerp really, really should have won this game. I don't know if you guys agree, but I just felt like they were getting in behind Standard's defence so often. And if I'm um, if I'm by the eight, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about that defence, about how easy it was for them, just like simple balls over the top from Honga and Boya and the others, just to like get Didier in. And yeah, in classic, it was just a classic Didier Lamcalzi game, really, wasn't it? Like you had the brilliance of the run, they had that horrendous miss and just like all the other stuff that happens. And it's like, yeah, yeah, he ran them. Uh, he ran. He ran them ragged when he wasn't trying to pull the shorts down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that bit. Never a dull moment. It is no. never a dull moment. Um, I thought as well during this game. I thought Jordan, Jordan Lukaku was quite good uh, on the left hand side. I thought he was up and down quite a bit. Yeah, it's just yeah. I find it like interesting watching Standard. Like especially as the game started winding down, I was like, are either side going to push to win this one? Like who looks like they want it more? But neither side really did. So Jackson Maleka never came on. They brought on Tapsoba and they brought on Shamir, but neither really, you think if they really, really push for the game, they'd bring on Maleka. That's a really good point, Ben, actually, because I remember saying while we were watching this that I really, really wanted uh, M. Bailey to bring Malika on because I want to see Klaus and Malika playing together more yeah. often. There's something about those two. and It's an instinctive thing for me. I think if they can get a, a wee run together, those two, they, they seem on the face of it to complement each other kind of quite well with, the, with their different playing styles. And, you know, if they can develop an understanding, I think that could be a really good partnership. It's just a gut feeling I've got about it. Oh, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. It is that it is that gut feeling, isn't it? Because I like what I see from Klaus, but I feel like I feel like yeah, if you stuck someone next to him who has that, I, I think when I see Maleka, like the bits I've seen, you try and watch a little bit more to see what what is his like thing, I guess. But when I watch him play, I'm like, yeah, when he's in the box, I feel like that's when you can tell, like, yeah, this guy's a good striker because his his movement's quite good. He's got an eye for goal, like we've seen that with some of the goals he scored away this season. He's just like. He gets in good positions. And I feel like with a kind of more of a target man in Klaus, he could bring get Maleka more chances in the penalty area rather than like Maleka being the lone striker and having to do that sort of job. Put Klaus with him. Klaus can do the running around and do like kind of the, the bruising and stuff like that. You get Maleka in there as well. Like it could be quite a nice little partnership, but then you've got to move away from the 4-3-3, I guess. And it's like, 
Yeah, I think I think that's the issue, isn't it? And I think that explains why he's not done it. But I just I'd, I'd really like to see him try it because I I think there's something in that, and you don't know without trying it. And by Lee looked, he's been looking cool as a cucumber since he's come in, um, which is easy to do if you you know if you've been playing quite well, which they have. Um, there's been an instant response, a positive one since he came in. But he looked he looked a little bit more agitated for long sections of that game at the weekend. Yeah, I think I think that's the defence as well. I think he's seen it and he's seen it the last couple of games. It's just been a little bit sketchy. Mm. And I think, yeah, he's probably starting to realise, OK, yeah, like there's an issue here at the back. Like centre-backs, I think, is their issue. Um, I think they really need to do something about that because it just, yeah, it's just not solid. They think that there's not a calm, there's like a chaos there. Although I have to say shout out to... Um, Henkemet, the uh, Liège goalkeeper who came in and he made a great save actually to deny um, Sek. I think it was literally on the line. He was already on the floor as yeah. Sek heads the ball towards the goal and he like, punched it away and he looked he looked decent in goal to be fair. Yeah, I liked the look of him. I thought his footwork was very good. Yeah, no, definitely. So there's like signs and stuff. I think we all knew that Lee had a really big job to do at Standard and I think he knows that. And like you say, he does look really cool and calm on the touchline most of the time. Like, quite a fashionable guy as well. So he looks good. He just looks, like, chilled out. Like, things happen. He's just kind of... Not, and his facial expressions just don't change. But there definitely were moments in that game where he was looking a bit, like, just a bit pissed off, I think. Yeah, feeling the stress for once. Yeah. So it must have been really bad to get him wound up a little bit. We'll move on from that game because it wasn't... It wasn't the most eventful. It was an interesting one. My player of the week is... Yeah, one of my favourite strikers in this league, for sure. It is uh, Tom Henley, as I mentioned earlier. He bagged two for Leuven, and he also got an assist for Sawa. He's just having a fantastic season. I think he's such a great all-round striker. His link-up play, I think I've, I've spoken about this at plenty, plenty of times. Link-up play is fantastic. Eye for goals, great. He's a great finisher. He's just rapidly adapted to this league. It'll be interesting to see how much interest there is with him in the summer. Like There were rumours of Spanish clubs being interested in him in January, obviously nothing materialised there. Another fantastic game for the Frenchman. He's still only 26 as well, so he's still quite young, but 19 goals so far this season as well as five assists. Like You can't ask for more than that in your first season in the top flight, really. Joris, you've been waiting patiently, I know, so let's hand over to you and get a nice lowdown on everything else that happened in the weekend. Before I do that, just watch that third Ohalova goal. It's really the perfect counter-attack, basically. I want to highlight that. But okay, let me get to other stats. Well, um, there's one thing I need to check. Uh, I read somewhere that Anderlecht really is having a historically big scoring issue. This part is true, but the part of how far back it goes is uh, probably where uh, I might need a hand. So far, yeah, they scored 1.33 goals per game. And this would be, so this is the uncertain part, uh, would be the lowest since their last promotion in 1935. Yes, uh, that is it. 85 years ago, this was never wow. less. It was never less than uh, 1.5. There's a few more facts about the game between Brugge and Anderlecht. We are interesting and going all kinds of ways. It was also the first time that Anderlecht didn't concede. On the other hand, in a league game away from home. Then again, Circle getting uh, their first point at home in 10 games, uh, as I've touched on last week, that they've lost, uh, they had lost nine games in a row. And as we also mentioned, like, yeah, they needed to get something out of this game and they did get it and deservedly so even. Also interesting is that Andrecht lost points now to all of the bottom three, which is probably not really a coincidence because of the way these teams are playing and the struggles Andrecht are having with scoring these uh, enough goals and in this case even a goal. Yeah, for sure. So I wanted to point that out. Then there's a point about the VAR. Beerschot and Mechelen both had some reasons to complain inside the same game. Beerschot got another penalty that really clearly was a dive. This was an instance where the VAR should have intervened. But Kevin Mechel also cannot complain too much since, yeah, that's, that's even more ridiculous. They got a goal that always was offside, uh, but the VAR did not have the right images to judge this. And uh, be yeah, because... Yeah, did you actually, they actually did not get the right images, which is just unbelievable and such a shame and such amateuristic performance. Well, the, the league did not have their best weekends in, in general, I would say. 
that's the thing about VAR, just to jump in for a second there, Joris, is, you know, VAR is supposed to remove these sorts of mistakes so that more things are correct. But actually, what we've discovered is that the inconsistencies that, you know, they officiate and had before VAR are still there and they're always going to be there. So the big question is, what's the bloody point of VAR really, isn't it? But I think we probably agree with that. Yeah, and well, to, to explain then what the issue was for the people that didn't see it. So uh, Rob Schofs clearly was on uh, the other half, which would make it um, offside and was behind the, the defender, of course, to make it offside. These images did not reach the, the right room. Also, on the other hand, I have to say, to be fair, the officiators, uh, they should have seen that themselves, of course. Then And then, of course, there was also this was did, in the end, it didn't really have an impact. I think the offside line at, for, from the VAR was not working for the first hour or so in standard against Antwerp. And well, there was this one phase where Lamcalzier was going a one-on-one to Hankine, which in the end, well, was flagged and probably was a correct decision. But yeah, I guess they still try to check that somehow. But if the line is not really working, I'm not sure what they checked. But um, let's assume that one was the right decision, at least. But still, that it wasn't working is such a shame. And then, well, to get back to Mechel and Beerschot, both teams had some uh, coincidences here. So Mechel twice in a row won in the last few minutes in uh, in league games, while Beerschot, for Beerschot, the opposite is true. They gave a game away uh, with conceding goals for the second time in a row. Okay, last time it was nil-nil against Antwerp before uh, the goals kept uh, coming. But still, they lost a point there. And here, they probably feel like they even lost the, a victory or at least, again, a draw. Right. Now, I just want to jump back quickly to uh, Anderlecht's scoring issues. So just while you were talking, I just had a little deep dive into looking at like who scored their goals this season. <clears throat> so obviously, we know that uh, Lucas Nemecha is their top scorer with 12. Second top scorer for them this season, Percy Tao, four goals. He's not there anymore. Go down the list. Jeremy Doku scored two. He's not there anymore. He'd have been joint third top scorer. Landry De Massa, another joint third top scorer. He scored two goals. Uh, and Michel Vlat scored one goal as well. So there's a couple of goals there. But the fact that your second top scorer, Percy Tao, had four goals and he's not there anymore, like that, that is the problem, isn't it? If Nemecha doesn't score, like, who else is going to score? There's no one else really scoring there. They've scored, I think it's 36 goals this season, lowest in the top four. Yeah, the next lowest if we want to go all the way down the table, is 13th with Kortreich, uh, who has 33 goals. So everyone else between them and Kortreich, so Anderlecht in fourth, Kortreich in 13th, has scored more goals than Anderlecht. And it's just, it's strange because defensively they are solid at the moment. Like they've only conceded 27 goals. I believe that is the second best defence in the league, which is surprising because at the beginning of the season, they were shipping goals at the end of games quite constantly. But I think maybe we need to give a, a kind of a shout out to Matt Miazga since he's come in, because since he's come in, they have improved defensively quite a bit. But so obviously that kind of plays into this whole thing like you said, Joris, about them. They can't, they're drawing with the bottom three sides. They'll keep them out because defensively they're solid, but they just can't score a goal. And it's just like, it's bizarre, isn't it? Like a team of Andalek, that with the talent that they do have in that squad, like they've got some great creative players, some great young wide players and stuff like that, that, Poor Lucas de Mercher has it's on his shoulders, and most of his goals have come from the penalty spot. If you don't give them penalties, like they're really struggling to score. The thing, I guess, that's also a thing that relates to the financial issues because I guess this position is the uh, the most pricey one to fill, and um, yeah. They, even Mecha, of course, is on loan, so that they did a quite a good job there. But to then or someone else there, yeah, be might be able to do that. It's also a bit of a shame for them that like it looked like they were on track. They won three away games in a row, I believe. Of course, two of them were cup games and against lower league teams. But again, they also scored a few, and especially like the against Union, they scored plenty uh, like then the goal started flowing but of course also mostly when the game was decided but they in that game they were finally efficient and then the game afterwards I, I think they even didn't have any shot on target uh, to throw in another stat but I'm not completely sure about that stat <laughs> we'll, claim, we'll claim it we'll claim it's true for sure I think yeah I just look I was kind of quickly looking at some of their players that you want to see more goals I guess from you're looking at Am- Amuzu 
He's 21 now. Last year, he was quite good as well. Like he's, he's kind of like an emerging player. One goal and one assist uh, in 22 matches for him. Like he hasn't always started like coming off the bench and stuff like that. Paul Makayu, the young Nigerian, also another winger. 17 matches, two goals, two assists. Started quite well when he like bounced into the team. Yeah, and then you're kind of looking at the rest and you're like, okay, where where are the goals going to come from? Like, I don't know. It's it's like that's I guess that's what Vincent Company has to work out. Like he's sorted out the defensive frailties and issues there. Now he's got to focus on the attack. But without the money to spend, you're going to have to be quite savvy, I guess, in finding players on loan like Lucas Nemecha. Yeah, he's been a real surprise package. And without him, I don't know, where would they be? I guess in the league, like they'd be really struggling. Yeah, yeah, and also. Well, you mentioned him now. Miazga is doing really well at the at the back, but I uh, I think I told you guys as well. Uh, again, something I mentioned in the chat a few weeks ago. Like I can't believe Miazga still didn't score any league goal. Of course, it's not the first task you uh, expect from a from a defender, but they could really use some of them. And he missed quite a few uh, free headers or the three set pieces, and and not only headers, but like some big chances. Yeah, it could make a huge yeah. difference. And also, like, well, like, indeed, none of the center backs, uh, Dolkwa also didn't. And the ones that were in before also didn't score any goals, I think. And yeah, that's that. It's it's not what you should rely on, but it can be a, a lifesaver at some points. And they don't seem yeah. to have that so far. You need, go, no, you need like defenders to score goals from set pieces. Like, you need a couple of those. You need them in the bank. I think you need every now and then a defender just to pop up with a goal. Uh, to be fair to Matt Miazga, I did see him once score an absolute scream of a body. So I know he has the ability in him. So fingers crossed for Anderlecht fans, we see a Matt Miazga. We said it now, we've spoken about that. He's going to score at the weekend. Like, it's just, it's bound to happen. Like well, reverse. yeah, the, how it's going with whatever I'm saying lately. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. exactly. So Anderlecht fans, if uh, Matt Miazga scores, you all owe Joris a pint next time you see him. That's for sure. Um, my, my bank account number is... <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> right let's move on to just some general news roundup let's start with the var shall we a centralized var system looks like it's going to finally be in place next season and i, I can't believe it's taken them this long really i think you actually summed it up earlier when you talked about how amateurish uh some of the var decisions have been or not the decisions but like the way the system's set up yeah it's just good news that there'll be a centralized system isn't there isn't it guys just that kind of have a little bit more consistency into the better VAR setup, I guess. Yeah, right now I'm still skeptical and thinking like, how can they make even this still like more amateuristic than in other countries? (laughs) Yeah, but it should definitely be an improvement for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. And let's just move on. We spoke about a little bit earlier, but I want to get your guys' reaction to the ESPN news with the US rights for the free games per week, broadcasting live pro league games for the next five years. Scott, jump to you on this one. What's your kind of like immediate thought about that? Well, I, I think it's uh, the size of the market, isn't it? I mean, the American sports market's huge. And the Pro League did say that it was a market they were looking to kind of connect with for a while. can understand that. Um, obviously, football is still growing rapidly in America and has come on leaps and bounds, certainly in the last 10 years. So the, the interest, I think, in, in European football more broadly outside of America by American football and sports fans more generally is is, is, still, a, is still a huge space. So I can I can totally understand why, why they were prioritising a deal like this. Very exciting for American sports fans because we know how great the Pro League is and, and they're going to kind of discover that. And it's been really nice for us here at the BFP actually to see um, a bit of interest and some people getting in touch with us over the last few days to to ask us a little bit about what team they should follow and um, no recommendations coming from us got to pick your own team guys but yeah it's all it's all it's all positive news uh, for both you know both those players playing in the pro league obviously for their own profile but obviously for the profile of the the pro league more generally it can only increase it and potentially uh, increase the value of future TV deals as well. So it's 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 quite an exciting development. That didn't didn't see that one coming, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> 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 it kind of jumped out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, you can pick anything you want. We have no apart from one of us. We we are, we're very much neutral. But yeah, no, it is exciting, and I think you've also got some American players in the league that will get some good exposure. Obviously, you've got Chris yeah. Erkin, uh, Ensign Tudor, Matt Miazga, we've just spoken about. You've got Efford at Vaslan Bevelin. Uh, you've also got uh, Antoine, uh, the CEO of 
Beveren, who we did our interview with, if you haven't listened to that yet, he is half French, half American. He spent some time working in the MLS, which he talks a little bit about uh, in the podcast episode. So yeah, definitely, if you haven't checked that out, would highly recommend it. Also just want to say a massive thanks on that one for the feedback that we've got on it. Sounds like Beveren fans are happy and have heard some stuff they've wanted to hear for a while. So that makes us happy that you guys have got the information that you wanted to hear. But yeah, going back to the ESPN and stuff, I'm just a bit jealous, I think. Uh, they get to watch it all and we don't uh, in England yet. So yeah, they definitely get a good deal. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy uh, these next five years of that, especially when the fans come back as well and you get all the colour and the singing and all that. It'd be great. So less positive news. Club Bruges and COVID is, it's not looking good, is it, at the moment? Obviously playing Dinamo Kiev as a recording. Uh, they're playing them on Thursday. We're recording on Tuesday. So from what it looks like, there's a couple of players have it and a, quite a lot of the backroom staff have it. But unfortunately, there's nothing we can really do with you with Europa League. It's either play it or don't play it and you forfeit. And I don't think Bruges would want to do that. I think they're looking at this tie with the, they've got quite a good chance of progressing with a full strength team or even if they can keep it tight and then for the second leg kind of come back on it. But I guess we should probably talk about the domestic ramifications that this would have on the calendar, not just for Bruges, but for like other teams as well. It remains to be seen because the news that came in yesterday, the first news was very worrying with like 25 to 30 people having COVID was the rumor, which seems to be the case. But luckily, it, it seems to be mostly, for most part, outside of the of the playing squad. So as far as we know now, they also still should uh, just play on the, their next fixtures in the in the league if they don't get they don't, didn't reach the threshold of seven COVID cases for players to postpone games, which I guess nobody really wants to do anymore, especially since last weekend. It's posing uh, some issues for the calendar for sure, but um, I will actually touch on that a bit later, I think. Um, so far, domestically, it seems to be okay. Regarding COVID, of course, there's also the um, the, the snow and ice uh, issue. That's that's something else, but that's hopefully just going to be one game. Yeah, it's kind of weird, wasn't it? That this weekend, it wasn't COVID at all that kind of disrupted everything. It was just the weather. But yeah, fingers crossed we'll be fine and the game can go ahead. I think while we're on that topic, we actually had a question from at Kasky Patrick. And they asked, how do you think Club Leeds and Antwerp will do in the uh, round of 32? So if you haven't listened, definitely go listen to Scott and Yoris's interview with... Yes, with Andrew. Uh, that that one for uh, for Kiev and for Rangers, we talked with Stephen Harrigan. That's one that's... It's an old one, so it's from October, but not much has changed. We also have been in touch to, with him. But yeah, we decided not to report anything new because there's not much, nothing much new on Rangers. So if you're interested, there's a... A special episode on Rangers that we did when they before they faced Standard in the in the group stages. Yeah, for sure, definitely check those ones out. And um, personally, I think they'll both do. I think Blues are going to win. After listening to your guys' interview, I think Blues are going to win by the sounds of it. I think they'll get through COVID dependent. Uh, Antwerp v Rangers. Oh, I feel like that one's just going to be tight, isn't it? I feel like if Antwerp, it depends what Antwerp. They've been so inconsistent, haven't they? So it's kind of like I know Scott will have a. A feeling about who he really 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 wants to win this one but Scott as you've seen a lot more ranges than me and Yoris have how do you think they're going to fare against Antwerp? Well I think it'll be very close and I always thought this would be very close when the when the draw was made I thought oh okay that's an interesting one that's one that both sides I remember saying this at the time would be really really happy with that draw because they'll both see it as a really winnable tie regular listeners will know that I support the green half Uh, of Glasgow but because of that I see a lot of the blue half playing as well I think yeah both sides will be really up for this I think because they'll both see it as a very winnable tie Antwerp have changed their manager and to a certain extent their playing styles changed quite a bit Uh, since the draw was made as well. So th th this will be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to watching it, actually, because obviously there are there's some some players with pro league experience in, in the Rangers squad at the moment as well. Yeah, going to be really interesting, this, I think. Really, really interesting one. I'm looking forward to it. I also think Bruges are going to win over the two legs as well. Yeah, like I might take on both games or, or both um, ties is that COVID might make it a bigger task for club. And well, of course, we'll have to see how it goes. But I think they still should be able to progress if they perform at their level. For Antwerp, yeah, it's just really difficult to pre predict. I don't really like this more realistic approach lately on the Verkouter, but 
it maybe it actually suits against Rangers. And well, just who knows what happens with Lamcolze between the time of recording and the final whistle of the final game. But I do feel if I really have to say someone, I, I, I think it will be na- a narrow win over two legs for Rangers. We'll have to find out. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't count Antwerp out for sure. Yeah, no, I'm 100% looking forward to these games. While we're on the topic of European football, I think we should address the question from our friend uh, at the 94th minute. If you haven't followed him on Twitter, definitely give him a follow. He's in a fantastic series that's um, kind of going around the world, looking at kind of national teams of football in each country. Uh, Joris did a fantastic piece with him for Belgium. He's got ones on Jordan, smaller ones like on really small countries. I think that was like a San Marino one, like Andorra. Like he's in so many. So yeah, definitely check those out. Really, really worth a worth a read and a follow. We'll get to your question now. Do you think Usten could potentially get a European spot this season? Especially with the potentially in that question. Yes, of course. And what makes me think that is they actually have a relatively easy schedule in this last part of the regular season. I went ahead and looked at some schedules of teams. I think they will definitely end up in a top eight at least based on that schedule, which already gives them a fighting spot for European football. And I would not be surprised if they even make it in, into the top four and the, yeah, the, the play of one, which already could, depending on the cup winner, could already be enough for a European ticket. If the cup winner also is playing in, uh, in your play of one, then uh, all teams in that playoff uh, automatically have a, have, that, have a ticket. But yeah, I, I do feel like potentially they could. And I, if I really have to say it, yes, I think they will get a European spot this season. See if you said that at the start of the season, um, somebody would have picked up the phone and had you carted away by white coats. So unbelievable <laughs> good has their season been. Yeah, I, I also, ju- I also yeah. jinxed them now, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we, do, we do that a lot here, though, don't we? Um, I, I completely agree with you, Oris. Yeah, I think I, th- I think they could, they could, they could, yeah, got a quite a good chance, I think. Oh, it'd just be amazing, wouldn't it? Like, from last season, the change to this season, like I think we'd be handing blessing manager of the season instantly, wouldn't we? If that happens, if, if he's not kind of one of the front runners already, like it would be an amazing turnaround to see that team as well. Like, the way they're set up, like the squad that they've put together, it's like we've been banging on about it again. Like another thing we bang on about is that they haven't got star players, like they've just got a very good team that's well managed. And I kind of like to see that rewarded by European spots. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think they can, but. I'm, I'm kind of like a little bit of a pessimist about things that I want to happen because I'm just feel like they're not going to happen. So I think they're just going to have a, a slide at the wrong moment and just miss out, narrowly miss out. But I hope I'm wrong and I'd love to see them get spot. Uh, while we're talking about East End again, I'm going to segue on to another question. These questions have been lined up to kind of segue quite nicely, which will make sense once we answer it. Jay Bleasdale, uh, Jay Bleasdale 81 on Twitter do you think David Bates could get back into the Scotland squad given his recent form? Scott, this one's definitely for you. I think there's a slim chance, to be honest, a slim chance. Um, I think there are other other defenders ahead of him um, that Steve Clark kind of prefers. So unless there's some injuries, I, I, I wouldn't expect it. The thing is here, I think David Bates probably de- deserves... A, a, a squad place just based on the fact that he's playing fairly regularly at a good level now. So f- for that reason alone, I think he's he's probably worthy of a place because I think he's playing at a better level than some of the players who are getting selected regularly. That's that's my view. But I, I think it's pretty slim, slim pickings on that one. Yeah, and I think we were kind of saying, weren't we, like, would Jack Hendry not be ahead of him given if we're going on recent form? Yeah, based on based on form, he would, but you know, he, I I can't see that either, actually. Mm. Yeah, no, and I think I've seen from like personal personal like level at Reading, we've got a player, Tom McIntyre, who I think would say he's better than David Bates. We call him the Berkshire Pirlo. So yeah, maybe he'll get a call up. But I think, yeah, Scott, you know much more about who's going to get in the Scottish team and stuff like that, but. I hope that answers the question, but it's nice to see David Bates playing at a high level. Like he struggled when he moved to Hamburg and Germany and Sheffield Wednesday. Like he didn't really get the game time he wanted and needed. So it's good to see him getting that game time. We have now a triple question uh, from our good friend Dieter Gucht. So I'm just going to hit you with all three and we'll take them, take them as they come. So first one, what's your take about the cancelled games? Opinion about the performance of performances of beer shot nowadays? And which teams will drop to 1B? 
Uh, I think we slightly touched on the performances of Beershot. Joris, you kind of touched on it, didn't you, when you talked about them losing games in the last kind of few minutes. Um, I don't know if you wanted to elaborate on that. Not too much, actually. I was, I was going to leave that question more to you guys. But we did see a drop of form coming for them, of course, uh, especially with Tusudali also leaving and the manager leaving. And I understand the change of style, but I don't really like it. And that's, that's literally all. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem to bring them more points and it makes them less attractive. I completely agree with Joris. I think they're, they're less easy in the eye. I think they're more compact and defensively solid, which I suppose is a good thing because it was one of their issues. But also, Holzhauser has got slightly less of a free role than he had before, I think. If you watch games, he's not been doing the things that, that he was doing before Lasada. well, up until he left, certainly, anyway. So he's adjusted his game just kind of slightly. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's yeah, it's less easy in the eye. Yeah, I think that's what we loved about watching Bershot, wasn't it? It was kind of like the gung-ho, piling forward. But then you lose Tisa Dali, yeah, you lose the manager. It, it, the change is inevitable and it's just, yeah, it's a shame. But I guess them being more compact means that like they, they're going to stay in the league now so they can kind of be happy about that. Take on the cancelled games. I think, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like I don't really know. I guess the Beveren one was a bit of a surprise that it happened so soon before the kickoff. Like, I was getting ready to sit down, watch the game, like got food sorted out, was ready to like relax. And next minute, Scott's like, the game's been cancelled. I was like, it's kicking off in like, what, 15 minutes it felt like? And you're like, yep, no, they've cancelled this one. Um, I think personal level, like if the pitch is dangerous, cancel the game. Like yeah. let's not risk players' safety. I know it's hard with the schedules and like rearranging stuff, but at the end of the day, you don't want to see players getting injured or playing on like a farcical pitch that just shouldn't be played on. I don't know if you guys want to jump in on that as well. Yes, definitely. On both sides, actually. Picture sides and also the calendar side a little. It's all about product. Of course, also like throughout the 20th century, and not only then, but maybe even a bit later, it wasn't uncommon to play on, on like these pitches. But yeah, I don't think that's an excuse for now. Football now has massively progressed from these times. And albeit you can't always see this as we touched on as well professionalized so yeah i think if if it's unplayable then it's unplayable and yeah we'll have to live with that yeah and calendar wise i actually want to look a bit more at the uefa at a higher level and less at the pro league also at the pro league uh, but other domestic leagues also face the same issues as a pro league and also have more or less the same amount of games and in uh, sometimes like in the UK and in France more cups to compete in so they they have a very similar or even more amount of games and uh, contrary to popular belief even many top teams in these leagues don't have such a, a big squad depth but my thing there with the UEFA is then why did the UEFA not opt for one game knockout phases like they did last summer to create room for teams across Europe because just this one measurement could make room across all leagues for postponements and so on. It's not that many games. Yeah, that luckily. And especially also another factor that now recently came is then, of course, like with these ridiculous situations with the British COVID variation on top of everything. So teams, well, both teams that play the game have to travel to a different place to play, to play the game, but not only once, but they have to do that twice. Like, there's no common sense in that. And like, I feel, yeah, the, that that should have been arranged better. Of course, also on a pro league level, you can discuss if there should have should be playoffs planned in such a special season as well. But well, I leave that as a discussion um, yeah, to others as well. I'm, 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 I myself am a fan of, uh, of, of, a play, of playoffs, but yeah, it's, I can imagine that it wasn't ideal for this season. Oh, yeah. I think the, the point you made about that UEFA thing, it's just, I can't remember which teams it is, but isn't there one team that's not allowed to play in Spain, but another team's rearranged matches going to take place in Spain? And it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And they're still using away goal rules. It's like, but you're both away. So why, what, like, I just don't understand. I literally don't get it. Um, it's obviously it's not as bad as them playing Nations League and friendly matches. Like, that was ridiculous. At least there's some sort of purpose. But yeah, like, why not just play the one-legged that's another right. topic. That's actually another topic that could solve a lot of issues. Just kick what out these it? friendlies. Yeah. And not only the friendlies, maybe even all national team football. Leave it yeah. as much out as possible. 
That's, yeah, uh, just that break in March is, is gonna be such a sorry if we're going on, but that break in no, March is also just that that's the one spot where they indeed would, yeah, the schedules but, would not have to be that hectic and there would yeah. be some room for postponed games to place them there. But yeah, exactly. Like it, they, these international breaks take up two weeks when it's just they don't need to be there. Like, I'm sorry, but it, I, I don't mind missing England playing like a pointless friendly against a team that, um, that no one cares about because we've got the Euros coming up. We'll just wait for them and we'll enjoy international football then. But at the moment, let's just get the domestic stuff done. Let's free up as much space as possible so that if teams need to isolate, they feel like they can. And if there are COVID cases, then there's a space to do that in and there's no like, there's not as much panic and stuff like that. But anyway, I'm sure we've touched on stuff that lots of people agree with. Let's get to Dieter's last question. Uh, which teams would drop down to 1B? Um, oh, I feel like my answer to this changes every week. So, Scott, I'm going <laughs> to hand over to you first before I make I was my just gonna, I was just going to say exactly the same thing. If you asked me this tomorrow, I would give you a different answer to the one I'm probably going to give you now. Oh, I, I think it's going to be two from two from these four, Beveren, Circle, Muscron or St Truden. Having said that, I think St Truden have got enough to be all right and I think they will be all right. So I think it's going to be two from three. So that leaves Muscron, Circle and Beveren. Which ones I, I do not know, to be honest, but I do still think, as I was saying last week, I think it'll go to the, the last game. Bear in mind as well, obviously, the side that finishes second bottom have a have a get-out clause in, in, in a playoff game, so they have a final opportunity to save their neck. So everyone's fighting to at least try and be in that spot rather than the bottom one. Exactly. That was what I wanted to point out. And yeah, that makes me think, like, honestly, I did not watch enough of 1B to be sure that two teams will go down. So personally, I will just pick the one team that I think will be in last position, which is indeed one of these three teams. I think there's only three teams involved, which is Mouscron, to be precise. The one that is, at the moment of recording, still is in the better position of the three. But not only their recent performances have been bad, as you guys touched on in the the first half of this episode, but again, I looked at the schedules and their schedule is just horrible. And I don't think they have a big enough gap with the teams currently beneath them in the ranking. Uh, While, for example... Maastan Beveren have, have an easier schedule. Well, of course, on paper. And uh, Circle is the only one that still plays both of the others. So kind of has their fate in own hands because of this. Yeah, okay. Either way, I think if that's going to happen, a lot will be told in the next two weeks for Moscow if they don't get any point against Circle. So that's this weekend. And Beershot next weekend is going to be very tough. They, they, I think they do need a bigger gap. And after that, uh, they face Klubrugge, Antwerp, Ostende, Charleroi and Standard. In random order, I don't know exactly. But anyway, I, it will be difficult to get many points of that if they get any. So uh, And what makes it even more, in contrary to other seasons, you can already say that all these teams will have something to play for until the end of the season, either top four, top eight. Yeah, so that's what that's my reasoning why Muscoon will probably relegate. Yeah, you just made me wince when you read out their fixture list. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been thinking Muscoon much more recently, and it's purely down to the fact that they just don't score. And this was their problem at the beginning of the season. They kind of rectified it a bit. They brought in De Costa, but they still only got 23 goals. Circle, who we know they've got an informed strike. And Ugbo, they've got players that can score. They've got 30. Beveren themselves have 32. Like, we know they have got players that can score goals. And I've actually, like, their last couple of games I've watched with Beveren, I've been like, oh, performance-wise, it hasn't actually been that bad. They'll create chances. Uh, they've got a good goalkeeper as well. So they kind of, if you match up the teams, like, both sides have good goalkeepers, but then I think Beveren have more going forward so I think they can catch them I think if they beat Urpen tomorrow night as of recording in that catch-up game that just puts so much pressure on Musclon but the thing is that you just the way this league's been going this year is like teams are just beating random teams every now and then like a random result will pop up and I feel like that's what's going to be the difference I think against each other I think they're going to cancel each other out I think they're going to draw against each other and it's going to be like who can pick up that random win over like an like a beer shot on Anderlecht or Ostend, but one of those teams, if you can pick up a win against those guys, that's what's going to make the difference. 
admit it, I haven't looked at the schedules. So kind of judging by what Joris has just said, I would go Musclon, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was any of the three down there. I thought Cordslight would get sucked in, but the win they had the other Friday, I think they're probably just going to about have enough with the change of manager and stuff like that. But yeah, we'll see what happens. It's definitely interesting for sure. I don't know if I'd pick two teams to go down. I think it depends which team gets into the playoff uh, in 1B. I think there's a couple of teams, obviously since uh, Union since Yellow are, they're going to go up by the look of it. But I'm not sure Sarang have enough to beat either of those two teams, either of one of those three teams. So yeah, I think get into that playoff spot if you're down there. That's for sure. I think you should be all right. We do actually have, in our final question, a question about um, 1B. It's a very very entertaining question for sure. So it's uh, from our friends, Put V English. Uh, who is the best striker in Belgian First Division B and why is it Daniel Perez? Um, <laughs> I mean, what a debut, guys. What a debut for Daniel Perez at Club Net. Four minutes in, a terrible back pass from one of the uh, Union SG centre-backs or defenders. He races on, kind of like, it must have been like one of his first touches in Belgian football, first few touches in European football, slots it away, great composure, great start for him. It's great to see a player that, like, we spoke a little bit about in our transfer window special, kind of get off to a flying start. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it, actually, when I saw the news coming through that he'd scored kind of that quickly. Really, really nice for him, I think. And who knows, perhaps, with um, some of the kind of coronavirus action going down at Bruges at the moment, maybe he'll get some senior squad action even earlier than, than he expects. Obviously, the answer is Daniel Perez, but looking away from him for a minute, as is a toss-up, really, isn't it, between Dante Van Zier at Union Sanjawa and Georges Mkhitaryan at, at Sarang. Both of them having unbelievably good seasons in 1B. Van Zier we're going to see in, in the top flight next season. Union are going to be promoted, um, should be over the line in the next few weeks. That's not far away, I don't think. Sarang... Remains to be seen whether they're going to come up, but I think Mikatazi's loan deal, I think, would expire, so that would have to be re- renewed if we're going to see him. Another shout-out, actually, is similar to one that Ben made a couple of weeks ago. There's a really good young striker at Lommel at the moment, Manfred Ugaldi, who's having quite a good season, even though he isn't playing as regularly as they'd maybe want. He's, um, he's quite a hot prospect uh, as far as strikers in one B go. I'm, I'm just going to say 22 games... 19 goals, 7 assists, Dante Van Zer. Yeah, I, I, I think Perez has got a way to go. But who knows, maybe he'll be playing in the Europa League final for Club Brugge when they get there and then COVID decimates the team. So <laughs> it's just him up front with Badgie, uh, which would be quite cool actually seeing the young players. But yeah, no, definitely shout out to Footby English as well. Definitely check those guys out. Really, really interesting podcast that they run about Venezuelan football which is why they've talked about Daniel Perez, of course, the youngster from Venezuela. It was great to see him get that start. It's really cool seeing players come over from different continents and stuff like that and just like kind of find their feet instantly. It takes a lot of confidence. And the way that we asked the English some questions about Daniel Perez, and yeah, they're very excited about him as a prospect. Like he's been smashing it at all in all the youth levels over in Venezuela and at the domestic level. So definitely one to watch. We should probably round this up, guys. But before we go, let's have a quick look at the upcoming fixtures. Scott, why don't you give us a, a fixture that you're looking forward to this weekend? I think the obvious one that jumps out um, because of the implications of it are Muscron's game against Circle at home. But I think Mecklen's game against Ghent, which is Friday night's game, could be worth checking out. Great. Yeah, no, I think that relegation dogfight is like, it's, just, it's my bread and butter, really, isn't it? I love these dog scraps at the bottom between the yeah, two. Yeah, it's great. Games. Absolutely. Uh, Joris, what game are you looking forward to? Well, Mechelen against Ghent, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not Ghent against Pearshot. I'm always looking forward to, but I prom- I made a promise in the beginning of the season to not always pick them, and I haven't been really good at keeping still them. Still in too much pain, <laughs> listeners. You're still in yeah, too much yeah. pain. <laughs> Absolutely. What game am I looking I- I'm looking forward to Erpen against East End. Two sides I really like to watch. Erpen have some really exciting young players. They're one of those sides that when you watch them, they actually play quite well, they just don't win. Whereas Ustend play well and win. So that should be an entertaining game. Uh, elsewhere, we have Vazan Bedrin against Charleroi on the Saturday. Uh, Anderlecht against Courtreich, which in my mind has, it, it just looks like a nil nil written all over it. So that's going to be a classic five ball draw, let's hope. Zoltavad again 
play standard Liège. Benk, as we just mentioned, they play Beershot. Antwerp against St. Student to round off the Sunday. And then Club Lugger against Leuven, which should be a really, it could, it could be really a game. I think Leuven will, will really test Bruges. Uh, that's the Monday night fixture. As of recording, we have some midweek games. Tomorrow, we just have Farsand against Erpen and Eastend against Genk, just to have that catch-up games. So apologies if you're listening to this after those games have taken place. We don't know what the results are. We don't know what's happened. Josh could be in a great mood. He could be in a bad mood. No one knows. Let's wrap this up then, guys. So thanks, as always, for joining me. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Scott and Joris. I'm sure you did. So thanks once again, guys. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Exactly. Good and saved, though. Fantastic. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Joseph McDade for the intro music. A massive shout out to our partners, Freelance Football as well. Uh, if you're interested in freelancing within football, definitely check those guys out. They find you jobs in every kind of area of football uh, within the industry. Check them out on Twitter, search for Freelance Football Ops, or just visit their website, www.freelancefootballops.com. And yeah, I uh, hope you all have been enjoying the special episodes that we've released. There have been a couple that have gone out. And if you are new to our podcast, we have quite a few other special episodes if you want to go back, especially we've got one that looks at uh, Antwerp in quite great detail. So if you're interested in learning more about Antwerp, I would highly recommend that one. Really, really interesting interview we did with Bob de Young, who runs an Antwerp podcast, and he also was involved in filming a documentary. So he is definitely a expert on his club. And yeah, as we've been saying, please do get involved with us. Send us in your questions. We absolutely love receiving the questions this week. It really like helps us think and kind of debate stuff like that. And I hope it makes it more interesting for you. So you can tweet us them as people have uh, at Belgian Podcast. Or if you just want to direct them at us individually, I'm at Benjack94. Scott is at Scott underscore coin. And Joris is at Joris underscore Beck. Alternatively, you can send us an email. Our Gmail is belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to search for Belgium Football Podcast and we'll appear there and you can send us your questions there as well. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you soon on another episode of the Belgium Football Podcast. <laughs>